Uh, let's see, start in 1 Peter again, chapter number 4, and um, continue on where we've left off in 1 Peter chapter 4, where Peter again is trying to um, uh, express to these strangers and pilgrims, um, he's trying to help them through suffering, not help them out of suffering. Uh, he's trying to encourage us, I say Peter, but uh, the Lord is trying to encourage us through suffering uh, to get our minds right and give us our expectations right and get our hope where it should be and our conduct where it should be. And we've, we've looked at that, the walk and the, uh, the Christian, the way to conduct the works that continue. He's washed our conscience. And then we've started in chapter, uh, excuse me, in chapter number four, first Peter, and we're continuing to look at the warfare uh, that is considered. And we started out in verse number one, for as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. Verse number four, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. And so we started out in this first section here and looking at um, arming your mind is how he starts things out. And that's where things always start out in our Christian life to make sure that we have our minds uh, directed and our minds, um, if you want, transformed the renewing of the mind. Uh, and so he follows that same pattern and tries to get us again to get focused in on uh, especially seeing in light of the last days. And he's going to go on and talk about that. Uh, but especially as you see the end coming, uh, how much more we should be focused on uh, the proper things, have our priorities in line in our life, and have our minds focused upon the right things. And so... Um, he does that. He says, then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. So we know that we're going to suffer. Let's just make sure we're suffering right. We're not suffering for doing evil. We're suffering because we're doing right and the world thinks we're strange. Um, that's the kind of suffering we should be going through. And if that be the case, then we don't have anything to be sorry for. In fact, uh, the power of Christ rests upon us. Uh, in fact, we have a, um, a nearer relationship with our Savior than we do uh, at any other time. And that's what Paul expressed, that um, the power of Christ may rest upon me. And so uh, Peter's going to use a little bit different language, but talk about the same thing. Um, in verse 14, he said, If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. And so he's trying to encourage us to help us to see that you're not in the wrong. You're not doing something wrong because you're suffering. A lot of us tend to have that idea that if we're going through hard times, one of the first things we do and we should do is we start examining ourselves. Have we messed up? Have we done something wrong? Are we out of the will of God? Are we getting punished for something that we're... But that, uh, a lot of times it's not the case. If you're just doing right, you're going to suffer persecution, uh, whether it be in your family. It's not easy to stand for the right things. 
Um, many of us have had experiences like that when we got saved with family members that don't understand spiritual things. And, and so they're going to uh, lash out at you and say things like, well, uh, you know, they won't uh, do certain things and they think they're better than everybody else. Or uh, you'll hear comments made by people and, and that's all right because that's, that's strange to them. And um, that's a good thing for us. We should want to be strange. We don't want to fit in. Uh, if we fit in, the Bible says they receive their own, and so the world receives their own. They, they shouldn't. We should be strange to them, and we'll we'll look at that. So he, he gets them to arm their minds uh, and reminds them. And I want to turn, if you'll turn back with me, and I want to look at a chapter that's very closely related to what Peter's writing to here in Paul's writings. Uh, but he has them arm their minds and remember that uh, we are new creatures in Christ. We've been risen. Remember in chapter three, risen from the dead. And our lives are hid with Christ in God. And now that we should no longer live in that old time in the flesh way, we should live in the will of God and thank the Lord for the ability to do that where you can repent and not have to live in the flesh any longer and you can live in the will of God. Uh, verse number three, that time past of our life may have sufficed us. That used to maybe be sufficient, but it won't be now. I'm not a saved man. He'll never enjoy the life of sin. He's been saved from the pleasure of that. And uh, so you'll never be happy as a Christian uh, living like a Gentile uh, because you are no longer a Gentile. Now, uh, we see in verse number four, they think it's strange that you run out with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. And uh, that is going to happen. And that's difficult, especially a lot of young people. It's very difficult for them to be different and not go along with the crowd. And you can't even take that first step. You can't, um, you won't don't win them by becoming like them. You've got to be strange. You've got to be different. That word strange literally means foreign, belonging to another country, odd, unusual, and not known before. And so that uh, should be how we are looked at when it comes to uh, lost people. They don't, uh, they don't understand what we're doing, what we're saying, why we go to church three times a week, why we pray all the time, why we read our Bible all the time, why we dress that way, why we won't go certain places, why we don't do certain things, uh, you know, all that stuff that uh, maybe we used to do at one time, but you're strange now, you're different, they don't understand that, and that's a good thing, because that is, that is something that can be attractive to our lost loved ones and lost friends, um, that we are different, we are strange, uh, that we don't run in the same excess of right as they do. We live a different life than lost people do. We, that is the expectation. So we, we are no longer living uh, the life that we used to live. It's again showing a change in spite of what some try to preach. The Bible teaches a change. When a man gets saved, he has a past and he has a future. He's saved and changed, made a new creature, and he no longer lives like he used to live. He don't run with the same crowd that that he ran with and all of those things. But turn with me back to Colossians chapter 3 and look with me quickly, Colossians chapter number 3. And I want to look just quickly at how closely related. Um, one thing I love about the Bible, it never contradicts itself. Um, the Bible is um, fluent and it always agrees with itself. You can put line upon line, precept upon precept, and uh, you can compare scripture with scripture. 
and uh, it will not contradict itself. And so rightly divided, if you look in chapter number three of the book Colossians, the Bible says, and this gives the same idea of what Peter's just been talking about. Um, uh, you know, Paul follows the same idea. He starts in chapter two at, towards the end. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances, touch not, taste not, which are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have a deed and wisdom and sure will worship. And so he talks about, in verse, and then he starts in verse number one of chapter three. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. And so Peter did the same thing. Remember, he said, we're in the like figure, we're into baptism, does not also now save us. And he ta he's talking about living now that resurrected life uh, that is above the rudiments of this world. We are no longer uh, living. Uh, how are we that are dead to sins living longer therein? We're not under the dominion and power uh, of the God of this world any longer. We are not uh, under bondage to sin, um, though we oftentimes heed to it. Uh, we have been delivered from all of those things. And so he said, Paul says the same thing. So if you then be risen with Christ, if you are a new creature, if you are saved and you, are, you have been raised from the dead, then walk like it. That's the expectation. If you've been, if you've been baptized... Uh, spiritually by the Holy Ghost. Um, you've been uh, uh, crucified with Christ, baptism being a burial. And so you've been buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in the rest of life. So if you have been, um, if you have been cut off, if you have been, um, those things are dead to you, that life is dead to you, and you've been crucified to that world, uh, then walk in a different manner than what you are supposedly saved from. And, and that's not, that's, a, that's not an expectation on lost people. Lost people are not expected to walk uh, according and in, in the will of God. They have no ability to do so. But you and I do. We've been raised by the power of the Spirit of God, and we can now walk in that newness. And so the expectation is then, if you're risen with Christ, seek the things which are above where Christ sitteth. And so is that not what Peter just got done saying in that chapter? Christ has now entered into the right... Let, let me read it for you. That's the last part of chapter 3. Who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. And so that's where he is. And so if you're in him, then seek those things where he is. And so seek the things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections then on things above and not on things on the earth. That's going to be important as we see the end start to come especially. But it's important at any time. But we are going to have to divorce ourselves from the cares and the affections and things of this life. I mean we're going to have to um, uh, uh, lose. Uh, some of us, our, our roots are grounded too deep in the earth and the things that are earthy, earthly things. And we need to look towards heavenly things. And, and he, Peter is following the same thing that Paul has been saying also. Say your affection on things above, not on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And isn't that an encouraging verse? When Christ, so he's telling them, you be risen with Christ, walk that way, 
while you're on the earth, have your affections up there. You're dead. Your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when you lived past tense in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another. And put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And so he follows this same. If you read this chapter, it's very closely related to chapter 4. So look again. Look in, 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 in Colossians. Paul is saying, uh, you used to walk in certain sins. You used to walk in a certain lifestyle. But that's not so now. You're risen with Christ, and you're to walk different now. And so you no longer live in these things. And in fact, you've gone a step further, and you've put off some things that are not just outwardly, but some inward things like wrath and malice um, and lying and blasphemies out of your mouth. And so uh, he, if you follow and read that chapter, uh, it, it follows closely to what Peter's saying. So look back at chapter 4. So Peter's saying the same thing. He's saying, listen... To get through this suffering and to get through these trials, it's only going to get worse. We may be given a little space here by President Trump as God's given us some space uh, of rest for the churches, as I read in the book of Acts after Paul got saved. And so maybe he's given a time of rest for the churches uh, and, um, you know, by giving us a little space. But our country is obviously uh, going downhill in a lot of ways. Our churches uh, have gone that direction for some time now in the sense of uh, acceptance and numbers and things like that. And so we're obviously going to enter a time when the end of the earth is coming uh, that we are going to be in lots of suffering. It's not going to get any better in that sense uh, when, when we get closer to Jesus' return, we, we are going to deal with the fact that we are going to be suffering. So Paul dealt with that and said, look, Christ is coming. Now look at what Peter said. And so Peter said, so they think it's strange, put off all those things, put on the new man, basically. And look at verse number four, wherein they think it's strange, you run not with them the same excess of riot. And here's what they, speaking of the Gentiles, the lost world, here's what they say of you. They speak evil of you for living right. And uh, then he says this, but let me explain something to you about those people that are speaking evil of you. Uh, he said, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? So verse number five is saying, for the first couple of verses there, arm yourself with the mind. You're going to suffer. If you try to do anything for God, you're going to suffer. And so there's coming an end to it, and you have the power to live this kind of life. So he encourages you to get ready for the fight, and encourage you to keep fighting. Don't run from it. Keep in the battle. Do right uh, with everything in you until the stars fall. Just do right. And he exhorts you to do that. And then he says, and also here's another comfort to help you through. Through this time. Not only are you not powerless in the situation, you can suffer uh, the, the uh, I believe Paul said, uh, where you're partakers of the suffering, so shall you also be of the consolation. And so you're not left without comfort. You can make it through whatever 
it is you're suffering. Uh, God will help you through it. I've seen so many people that have had this virus and talked about, you know, that when they were really going through a lot of things, and they'll testify on how good God was to them during those times and how God got them through those sufferings. I mean, God has got the power. You, you're not without comfort and without power to get through these things. And then he says this. Now, remember, those that are speaking evil of you, those that are mistreating you, those that are saying that you're strange, you're, you're, you're a weirdo, and you're, uh, you're caught up in a cult. There's, there's people that uh, call uh, independent churches cults and uh, all those different things. They wouldn't know what the definition of, they wouldn't even know how to Google the word and find out what a cult really is. A Catholic church would be a cult. Uh, independent churches that are walking according to the, uh, to the word of God are, are very, by definition, exactly the opposite of what a cult is. Uh, but anyway, and so um, there's people that'll say those things about you and hurt you and all those. But here's what we need to remember. Those people will give account to him, that is Christ, who is ready to judge the quick and the dead. Now that verse is referring to the Lord Jesus. And here's what it's talking about. Verse 5, these people that are speaking evil, here's two things we got to remember. One thing, we got to be careful how we respond to how we're being treated. Because these people are going to have to answer to God one day. And and if we don't respond right, we may be a stumbling block in their way. So we have to learn how to suffer like Christ did, who when they see you being reviled, you're not reviled again. So that's the one, the one part of it. But the second part is take a little bit of comfort in that fact that they're not getting by with it. Right? You don't have to render to no man evil for evil. You don't have to get them back. God will get them back. I sometimes don't like talking like that, but it's a fact. God, God will repay. Is that not what he said? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. And so all these people uh, out here, especially in the lost world, but even in the Christian realm, everybody is meeting the Lord one day. We obviously that are saved will stand at the great, at the, at the judgment seat of Christ, at the beam of seat. And then those that are lost will be at the great white throne judgment. And God will repay them to the face. What is open at the great white throne is the book of works and God will have their wicked deeds recorded in the Bible and God said he's going to reward them according to how they've treated other people, how they've lived and so God will give them a just reward for how they've mistreated people and so if anything we should feel sorry, we should be in prayer and we should be um, concerned because God when he executes judgment it will be swift and it will be severe and so we should be praying and remembering these people need saved, but also take comfort in that the suffering will not last forever. God will repay and you will get through the suffering. It will, it's just but a season and the season will change. The night's coming. And uh, so don't you worry. Jesus is coming and you won't have to worry about it. Now, and so where they think it's strange Let's see verse five, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. Now there's two ways you could take this. Okay. The quick being those that are saved. You that have been, uh, we're dead in trespasses. Has he quickened uh, together with you? And so uh, you could see those that are dead in trespasses and sin. But I don't think that's what that verse is saying. I think it's the logical way that you would read that. It's those that are alive and those that are dead when he comes. God's re Jesus is ready to judge both. Now that means that it's at, there is nothing preventing him from executing that judgment. He is simply waiting for the father to say uh, for him to go ahead. The time uh, that no man knows 
but the Father himself. And so he has all judgment in himself and the power to judge by his own words. But he is awaiting for the Father, and he's waiting for the fulfillment of time and this process of time. Just like in the dispensation of the fullness of time, God uh, came forth. He was made of a woman, made under the law. In the right time, Jesus is going to come. As you saw him go, he's going to come again. And so the last trump will sound and the voice of the archangel, and we'll hear that trumpet, and we, you and me that are alive and remain will be gone, and so shall we ever be with the Lord in the air. And so that will be a wonderful, glorious time, and I can't wait for that. But it says that he's ready. And so just like Paul, when Paul said, I am ready to preach the gospel to you, so Jesus is ready to execute judgment. There is nothing withholding him. There's not, I don't personally believe, uh, the revelation of the man of sin. I don't think there's any uh, prophetic thing that must take place that would prevent him from his coming. He is ready to come whenever the Father says come. And so he's ready to execute that judgment. And here's the judgment that he's going to give. Now let me give you this, just a couple of verses, and uh, we'll take about 15 more minutes, 10 minutes, and then we'll, we'll go on tonight. But Acts chapter number 10, Acts chapter number 10, uh, just to give you the... Um, full picture here of what is being said. He said he's ready to judge the quick and the dead. Now, that to me, personally, uh, does not mean uh, he's ready to judge the lost and the saved. Uh, because that just in context would not make sense as to what he's saying. Uh, if you go on, we'll go to the next verses. But let me just read Acts 10, 42. Uh, and he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. And then one more time in 2 Timothy chapter number 4, this same truth is given again in 2 Timothy Chapter number four, we'll see it again. He says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. Uh, let's see, I'm in First Timothy, that's wrong. Second Timothy, chapter four. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So what that is saying here, uh, and this would be in context, and this would be, you know, uh, uh, matching other verses that, that are in our New Testament, uh, that this is talking about when Jesus comes, wherein they think it's strange of you and they speak evil of you, they're going to have to give an account of him, uh, account to him, excuse me, that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. So who is to him? Well, according to those two verses, it's Jesus. According to Acts, they were commanded to preach in the name of Jesus. All judgments been served unto him. And then according to that the one we just read in 2 Timothy, uh, it talks about he's ready to judge the quick and the dead at his appearing. So this verse, verse number 5 of 1 Peter 4 says, Who shall give account, these people uh, shall give account to Jesus that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. This is these, when Jesus comes, there'll be those that are alive uh, and they will be judged also. Those that are dead, they'll be risen and they will stand, even those, the Bible says, those that are in the sea, uh, death and hell deliver up those that are in them. And there's a time coming when every 
every single person is going to, number one, bow their knee to Jesus and confess him as Lord. And the second thing is they're all going to be judged. And so God will judge them. Now, that should give us some comfort to know uh, that, um, I don't know about you, but when I was in school, uh, if I was getting picked on, uh, if I was being mistreated, uh, I always had an older brother. And so it kind of made me feel a little bit better uh, to know that one day that uh, when I go home to tell my older brother about this, uh, this is not the end of it. So you may be getting by with mistreating me now, but when my older brother hears about this, you are going to be in trouble. And uh, in a carnal sense, in a, in a spiritual sense, uh, people that have mistreated God's church, misused God's people, they've slain our people asunder, murdered his prophets, they have uh, despised the people of faith all throughout history. Uh, they've murdered them. They've hung them upside down on crosses, burned them alive. They've done everything that they could do to try to stamp out the word of God. There's coming in a day that there is a time appointed that God will judge them by the same book that they tried to get rid of. That one man that said that before he died, he was going to rid this earth of the word of God. And here the anvil still stands wearing the hammers out. And the word of God is forever settled in heaven. And God will judge the world by those same words. And that comforts me uh, because I'm on his side. And so when people have mistreated me and they've been cruel or what have you, uh, we can take a little bit of comfort in knowing paydays are coming. They're not getting by with nothing. Now, um, we don't glory in that in that sense because that'll be a great and terrible day. But it is a little comforting to know that you're not always going to be a doormat for this world. There's a day coming uh, that you and I, uh, number one, will rule and reign for a thousand years upon the earth with the Lord. I believe that on my heart. Uh, but uh, anyhow, uh, there is coming a day when the tables will turn and they, we will no longer uh, be a, a, a stepping stone and a, and, a, and a doormat for the people of this world to misuse and abuse and mistreat God's people and God's church. There's coming a day when God will judge the world in righteousness. So thank God for that. Now, We'll move on to verse number six. So these people will give account to Jesus, that is, ready to judge the quick and the dead. And look at verse number six. For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. And it's just like Hebrews chapter number 11 references back to people uh, in old times to give you comfort to get through the suffering. Look at how God got them through. And this is the same idea here. The gospel was also preached to them that are dead. Now, this has been used to try to prove a belief uh, that uh, the giants in the land at that time and there's people in prison. And so Jesus went to the heart of the earth and by the spirit uh, preached deliverance to Noah's generation that were disobedient. And those uh, those giants and those spirits were the angels mixed with daughters of men. I, I don't know how that's possible when angels are gender neutral as far as I know, um, uh, but anyhow... Uh, that's going to be very difficult for me to, to lay hold of uh, in context of the scripture. Uh, but look at that verse again, verse 6. For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead. Two words I want to focus on to get an idea of what's being said. For for this cause, number one, was. So slow, I want to try to slow down just a minute. For for this cause was the gospel preached. So this is something that happened past tense, right? 
was the gospel preached. It didn't say, for for this cause is the gospel currently being preached to you that are dead. Right? That's not what it said. It said, for for this cause was the gospel preached. So he's talking about a past tense, using the word that's past tense. And then look at the second word. For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are currently dead. Right? And that has to mean the same thing to a person reading this Bible a hundred years ago as it means to me and you in 2020. Because the Bible transcends time. And so it can't mean something different based on time. So that has to mean the same thing. So that was past tense when Peter wrote it, and it's past tense in 2020. The gospel at some point in time was preached to people that are currently dead now, but the gospel was preached in the past. So what I think that's saying, for for this same cause, this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead. Well, who's dead? Who would we, that's not you and me currently that are dead. I believe that's talking about dead saints that have gone on to be with the Lord. And, and, and like Hebrews chapter 11, all those encouraging saints, uh, uh, those ones that we know, uh, uh, brother, uh, that encourage us to think about those old saints and how they lived. And uh, uh, God preached the gospel to them, and they were judged according to men in the flesh. Look at all that they did. They were sawn asunder. All the various things that happened to those saints, they weren't received with gladness and love and tenderness by the world. They were despised and rejected and hated of men just like Jesus was and this world wanted rid of them but the world was not worthy of the people of faith and it's the same thing today but he's trying to encourage us now he's saying the gospel was preached to them too just like it was preached to you and they and and this for the same purposes that they should no longer have to live like that but can walk and live according to the will of God it's always been that way that's what he's trying to encourage you to see those Old Testament saints Charles Spurgeon didn't have any more of God or any more uh, um, uh, it wasn't any easy easier for him to, to live as a Christian. Uh, these other men, we could go on and on and talk about past great saints, Dr. Seidler and these other men. Uh, God may have had more of them, but they had no more of God. God got them through and they believed by the same gospel that you heard preached and they got the same Holy Ghost and they got through their suffering and me and you are going to get through ours by the power of God. And, uh, and so that encourages me. And, uh, we're not, we're not uh, uh, left suffering strangers alone in a strange land. We are suffering strangers with our king living in our hearts. And uh, so it is encouraging. But so the gospel was preached to them that are dead. And look at what happened. They were judged just like you are according to men in the flesh. Look how they were mistreated. I've seen nothing but just uh, God, uh, the world has never been friendly and kind to God's preachers and God's people. And they've never have. Uh, they hate us because of our Savior. And that they might be judged according to men in the flesh. They just told you the same thing would happen to you. What were they going to do to you? Speak evil of you. They've judged you. They, they charge us with being judgmental. But it's amazing. They're the most judgmental crowd that you will ever find. The most, the most uh, racist, the most hate-filled, judgmental, um, unaccepting group of people in this world is the worldly, fleshly, liberals that claim peace and love. They're the most unloving, unpeaceful people. We're seeing that now play out in our country. They're burning our cities down. Uh, they're, uh, they're, they're the biggest bunch of racists you've ever met in your life. They think me and you are just mean old, uh, we don't accept anybody. Well, we try to accept everybody who wants to do right and doesn't want to be a pervert and doesn't want to mistreat people. We want to try to accept anybody and help give them the gospel, but they hate our guts. They don't want our Bibles. They don't want us preaching. They don't want us to have freedom of liberty, uh, freedom of speech. 
They hate everything. They are exactly what they believe they're fighting against. But you and I are not so. The Bible, spirit-filled Christian that loves the Word of God and is trying to live right is valuable to God. And whether this world knows it or not, they're valuable to this world. And so we've got to keep that in mind. That we are not, we, yes, are going to be judged just like they were according to men and the flesh. But you and I are living and we're going to live according to God in the Spirit by the grace of God. We are going to get through this thing. That encourages my heart. I'm, I'm going to keep on going for God. But now verse number seven, and we'll be done. But the end of all things is at hand. So he's trying to prepare us for the end. And that was true when Peter wrote it, and it's true today, but I'd say it's nearer now uh, than it ever has been. And so it's the last days, but it's the last of the last of the last of the last days uh, you and I are here. So the end of all things is at hand. That means uh, very, very near to me and you, we are watching the unfolding of the end of all things. And they want to control everything they can possibly control. They're setting it up for one world government. They're setting it up for the Antichrist to come. And in some ways it's exciting. In some ways it's fairly scary. But uh, we walk by faith and not by sight. And we're just going to live according to God. And we're going to live in the Spirit. Uh, but the end of all things at hand. And let me just mention this and we'll stop tonight. But the end of all things at hand. Be ye therefore sober. And so let me just give you just a couple of things here. And uh, uh, look at this one verse. We may not make it to verse number eight. But verse number seven, be be sober. That word means be of sound mind. Again, he refocuses the, he sums this up by focusing again, take care of your mind. Uh, If there's anybody I've ever tried to counsel with or talk to, uh, the number one problem when they, Pastor, I've got something going on in my life or there's something wrong or uh, anybody that ever comes with that, you can almost always take it back to their mind. Their thinking is wrong. Um, They get upset at their spouse and it's, I've put up with this all my life. I'm sick of putting up with it. I deserve to be happy. They're thinking wrong, right? They're, they're, They're not thinking soberly. You don't deserve anything but hell. And so when you start saying, I deserve this and I deserve that, your thinking's got messed up. And so uh, and that's just an example of something. But all, usually always in our life somewhere, it started in our mind where our mind got messed up. So he tells them again, be of sound mind, be sober, uh, think right. And the only way we can do that is to bury our faces in the Bible. And we stay in the word of God to keep our minds right. So be sober, uh, be therefore sober, uh, and it should be sobering to see that all things are coming to an end. That should sober a lot of us. What scares me is what I always thought, Brother Reed, when I was coming along before now uh, as a young Christian, you would see things happen and everybody thought Obama was the Antichrist and, you know, Jesus was, you know, just about to step into uh, the cloud. And, uh, and, but even, even at that, I always thought when we really saw the end begin to come, that you would see people that were cold or people that were indifferent, but they were really saved, you would see them really get serious about serving God, seeing the times. But that's not been the case. Really, seeing the further we get to the end, the more you see drift away. Just like, just like John said, they go out from us because they're not of us. If they were yet of us, they would yet still remain. But they go out from us because they're not all of us. And what I see more is not people trying to get right, though I have seen some of those cases in fearfulness and they see Jesus is coming and it urges them to try to get right. What I usually see is they've gotten so cold, so indifferent, so satisfied and content and comfortable 
where they've decided to exit off of God's highway and God's plan for their life. They've gotten so settled and comfortable there, they don't even realize anything's wrong with them. That falls in line to the lukewarmness of our day. Uh, the, 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 the indifference, you don't, you're not hot or cold, you're, really, you're not good for anything uh, but to grow and grow in disease and bacteria. <laughs> Lukewarm water's not good for a whole lot. And uh, so we've just festered in our lukewarmness and we're, we're really profited nothing. Uh, but uh, anyhow, and so uh, that is what been, has mostly happened is people tend, and so that's why I want to be extremely careful because the deception is more rampant. Remember the Bible said in the last days they're deceiving and being deceived to the very end. And so there's such rampant deception in our day that I, I don't want to be caught up in those times. And so if we remain cold, we might get to a place you don't even know you need help. And so I don't ever want to get there. I want to stay, keep my heart warm, uh, keep my life, my spirit, everything right and be ready. I want to just right up to the very end. I want to finish strong, Brother Reed. I don't, I don't want to finish weak. I don't want to die off at the end. I want to finish as strong as when I first started or, or beyond uh, in in zeal anyway. Um, and so the end of all things at hand, be therefore sober. And this word watch, this is interesting how this is put together and I'm done. Uh, I'm not going to go into verse eight, but uh, be therefore sober and watch. Now that word watch is, is seems silly, but let me just say, keep to keep uh, attention without sleep, keeping eye out for the enemies, to be attentive, to be awake. And so how many times did Paul always say, awake thou that sleepest, awake out of sleep, you know, a little folding of the hands, a little slumber, a little sleep, and poverty comes as a man that was, and so those types of things. At the very end, we don't want to get sleepy. We don't want to, we have a tendency, especially when you get comfortable and you've stopped fighting the battles and you're not really faithful to church and you, you kind of don't read your Bible as much as you used to, you don't pray as much as you used to, and you get kind of comfortable and you're a little, kind of a little bit religious, but a little worldly. You just, you just settled in and you're kind of lukewarm and uh, uh, you're certainly not watching. Uh, you're not you've kind of gone to sleep in a sense. And I think Paul has this same idea. Don't get, don't fall asleep. Uh, Jesus is coming. Be attentive. Be, be, be keeping your eyes out for the enemy because he's going to be battling harder and more intense and fiercely than he ever has. And so then we know that watch and guard is kept at prayer. And so he says this word when he says to watch, don't fall asleep, be attentive. Um, Keep your eyes out for the enemy. Be awake. This this word unto it means uh, to what purpose or for what result? What uh, and that would be watching unto watching with the result of prayer and uh, and so prayer uh, being the place that where guard guard is kept. Um, if there's ever been a time in our Christian lives where we better get serious about praying and not rolling over half asleep and you know now let me down to sleep or whatever. I mean, really getting up and making an effort to get into the quiet place and pray for our country, pray for God's men, pray for the church, pray for each other, pray for lost people. If we've ever gotten serious about really, really prevailing in prayer, it better be the day in which we live now. It is 
creating uh, so such mass confusion. Uh, there's, there is so much going on in the lives of people in our country and our churches. Very little light, very little discernment. We need to be people of prayer. So here's what he says, and now we'll go on to the next things. But he says, now to sum all this up, guard, arm your mind, uh, uh, and he encourages us with some other things. But he says, now, remember, the end is all at hand, so be sober, be ready, don't play around. This in and out, up and down, kind of wishy-washy stuff is not going to work anymore. You're going to have to make a decision and buckle down and get serious with God. And watch unto prayer. And we have got to uh, be keeping the watches. We've got to keep our eyes out for one another. To be, um, Isn't that something uh, I'm done? I'm done preaching. But if you think about those, uh, me and Brother Reed, that were keeping that watch, it wasn't just their own life that they were watching out for. Uh, inside that city was little Hannah. Inside that city was their wives, their children, their friends, the, the, the priests. The, uh, all, those, all those people were inside. The, so they were not just keeping the watch to protect themselves. And so we've got to have the same thoughts in our mind. It's not all about us. Right? We've got to keep the watch. We've got to pray, not just because, pray not that she entered on in temptation. Pray, we need to be praying because it, look at the, look at the, uh, uh, look at who all's depending upon our prayers. Look at, look at if the enemy gets in, who's at stake? I mean, we got a church full of people that could be a stake. Uh, we, we've got to get serious about praying. The enemy's coming. The end's at hand. The good news is though, Jesus is coming. And so I want to be ready when he comes. I want to be met. I want to meet him. Doing right. I want to be found doing right. When he comes to get me, I don't want to be off involved in things that I shouldn't be involved in. When my daddy come to pick me up and it was time to go, I wanted to make sure I was where he told me to be. You know, and uh, I don't mean to be so carnal with some of my examples here tonight, but in the same sense, when our dad, when our Jesus comes to get us, I don't want to be where he told me you better not go there. I want to be where he told me. I want to be found doing what he told me to do and just be faithful to it. Lord, we love you. Thank you for our folks. You know, the, the difficulties that we are having right now, the confusion, the not knowing exactly what to do uh, and what is best. Uh, thank you for giving us uh, uh, such great comfort and help and consolation of the Spirit. I especially want to pray for any that are sick, any that may have this virus and that are sick and struggling with those things. But, Lord, protect our people. Protect those that in our church and those in other churches. Please, Lord, help our country. Move us on through this, Lord, as the, in the book of Acts. It comforted my heart this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd give rest to the churches. I know judgment must begin at the house of God. But, Lord, please, I beg you to remember mercy and help us. Give rest to your churches around about this area and throughout this country. We love you and help us, Lord, to continue on faithful in our uh, duties as Christians. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, we love you. I'll let you.